Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. I'm back from my sabbatical traveling the world, and I am super excited because I have Nadine back on the podcast, and we're going to talk about where to travel in winter. And I know we all uh, think of, you know, escaping the cold and going, you know, someplace hot to sit on a beach, but there's a lot of really cool places to explore and no one's better positioned to tell us about them than Nadine. So hi, Nadine, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's great to be back on and talking about a uh, fast approaching and, and different season and you nailed it. It is one of those seasons where people often have a very specific mindset about what a winter trip looks like. And so today the plan is just to kind of expand our horizons and start to to think about some outside of the box ideas and then some classic, you know, sun escape ideas as well. So Nadine, what do you love about travel in the winter months? Oh, there is so much I love about travel in the winter months. Um, my kind of quintessential winter travel moment is uh, having grown up in the UK, heading back there. I've spent many Christmases and winter breaks there and just the Christmas markets, the lights, the festivals, um, everything that surrounds Christmas period in the UK and also getting outside for nice walks. Obviously, don't have the same uh, level of snow that we have here, so it's a bit easier to get outside. Um, I just love the Christmas spirit and I love particularly being in the UK over winter. Yeah, I think like one of the things that anyone who spent Christmas in or winter in the UK, everyone just thinks it's so festive. And, and you know, whenever I meet other people who, you know, live there, it's like, I wish we had that festivity here in Canada. And there's just something with, you know, so many Christmas markets, everyone's out kind of celebrating, reconnecting with friends. And then like the Sunday, you know, country walk to a remote pub and kind of, you know, yeah, yeah. It's just, it is, it's just so, you know, you don't think it would be because there's not snow, but it just, it has such great spirit. It does. It really embodies the winter spirit and it's a great place to be uh, for winter trips for sure. What months are really considered winter? So, I mean, this varies a little bit depending on who you're talking to, but when we're thinking about it in terms of what we would consider someone booking a winter trip as, that would be three months. So that's December, January, and February. November and March are still kind of considered the winter season in terms of weather. And, and you know, when you're planning a winter trip, you would think of November and March as being such, but we tend to c categorize those as the shoulder season. So the key winter months are really those three months, December, January, and February. And if you're booking a trip during those months, it's definitely a winter trip. And if you're in the Canadian Rockies, it's already snowing. So it's October. Yes. And I think I think the first ski hill opens like the start of November. So if you go to Canada, winter is a bit longer. Yes, you've got plenty of months to get in those winter activities in Canada. That's for sure. Wicked. Well, what are we seeing our guests booking right now for for this winter? Yeah, so winter 2023 and 24 is looking pretty diverse in terms of what people are booking. Um, we've got a lot of guests planning to trek in the Southern Hemisphere, so kind of pulling a, a season swap, leaving a winter in the Northern Hemisphere to head to summer in the Southern Hemisphere. What that looks like is trekking tours in Chile, so Torres del Paine. Um, I was there last uh, year myself, and I can absolutely see why it's a really, really popular destination for people that are looking to enjoy some 
incredible trekking and natural landscapes. The Colombian Andes are also quite popular during the winter months, as are the Ecuadorian Andes. Um, Another kind of unique trip, and I think it's one that's on a lot of people's bucket lists, and we've had a lot of requests for it lately, would be the Galapagos. So uh, in terms of the most popular time for people to visit the Galapagos, that's going to be the December to February period. But their warm and wet season actually unfolds between January to June. So there's pretty much, you know, several winter months in there when you can take a trip to the Galapagos. And why it's such a great time to visit the Galapagos? Well, of course, you've got warmer weather. Um, warmer seas, calmer seas, meaning great underwater visibility for people that are looking to get in the water and do snorkeling. If you're doing a cruise in the Galapagos, calmer seas makes for smoother sailing. Um, and the vegetation is really lush as well. So overall, it's just a brilliant time to visit the Galapagos. And we're seeing people, um, you know, joining uh, mixed group tours or planning a family trip there on a private basis. There's a ton of options. And it's just one of those destinations that is definitely one in a lifetime you've got to do it it's it's on our bucket list and you know it is uh my kids have learned about it in school and they're all really into nature and so i know my parents did it you know 20 years ago and they talked about seals coming up and nibbling like your fingers and your toes and just it just sounds like an incredible experience so the blue-footed boobies the the penguins yeah i'd say everything just like being on another planet really it's such a unique spot um obviously the caminos we've chatted in other series uh for travel in different periods are very very popular for our guests in the summer and autumn but we're also getting quite a lot of requests for people looking to walk the camino um during the winter months so um the spanish Spanish and Portuguese Caminos, um, just worked with a family of six that booked uh, the French Way for December. And obviously with the Camino kind of revolving, you know, and around the history of Catholicism and um, so many monuments and, and, um, and sites along the way, Christmas period is a really, really special time with tons of festivals and celebrations. So um, you've got the upside of it not being as busy when walking the Camino in these months, but then also another upside of just a really special time to be there. Yeah, I feel like all of kind of um, coastal Southern Europe, it's it's going to become a really popular, not just shoulder season, but winter season, because you can go somewhere and it's going to be 15 degrees and you know, that's not warm, you're not going swimming, but it's, it's a really nice temperature to get out and do, you know, cycling or walking and just kind of like get out of the deep freeze here in, in northern North America. Absolutely. Yeah. And as we're seeing with temperatures rising all across the globe, it's making those peak summer months pretty, pretty difficult for a lot of people to get out and walk 25 or 20 kilometers during the day. So I think you're right. It is going to see an upsurge in people thinking, hey, like, forget the summer. Let's do it in the winter when there's less people and it's actually comfortable to walk. Right. Yeah. Now, there must be some people like me who like the winter. But what are we seeing that's popular in winter? Like actual cold, snowy winter. Yeah, so we'll call those the real winter trips. Um, yes, definitely European winter trips um, based around snow are 
quite popular for our guests as well. So we're getting quite a lot of requests for particularly cross-country ski tours. We've got some great self-guided options and also some guided ski groups uh, where you can join a group or have your own private group. Um, the two countries I'd say we're seeing our guests uh, travel to most are Italy. The Italian Dolomites are quite popular for cross-country skiers um, and Iceland as well. And you've got the added bonus when going to Iceland of the, the opportunity to see the Northern Lights, which is just, a, you know, the cherry on the cake, so to speak. It's, it's spectacular. Now, uh, I meet a lot of people who come to Canada in the winter because they've never seen snow. They've never seen, you know, the Aurora. Uh, it, are our Aurora tours here in Canada popular? Yes, definitely. Uh, I like to think of it having done it myself as um, your classic winter getaway. So uh, we've got a great trip based in uh, the Yukon territory of uh, Canada, all the way up north. Um, and the whole focus of this trip is to get out with professional Aurora guides and see the Aurora Borealis. So you head out to this really remote cabin outside of Whitehorse. You set up your viewing site, there's cameras, everyone's ready, and it's just an incredible light show. You head inside for you know hot cocoa and snacks and then warm yourself around the fire it is like such an incredible um, winter getaway and it's a pretty short trip as well so a lot of people do it over a long weekend you can do it in three four or five days depending on your preference and it's definitely one of our top requested trips for our guests booking winter travel at 10 adventures that sounds incredible uh let's let's talk a little bit so we've talked about what's popular right now but a lot of people are looking for inspiration and uh, let's let's maybe talk a little bit about the different types of trips and you know you kind of broke them down a little bit in our discussion already there's people that just want to you know escape the cold and find something sunny and warm there's people that you know want to go and like get hiking and biking in the winter i know a bunch of folks who do like their hardcore cyclists in the summer and they use the winter to go travel to warmer destinations to stay in shape uh, and then there's also just crazy people like me that that like the winter and like the cold. And so why don't we look at those those three different options and start with sun because it's a cold, rainy, sleety day here in Calgary. Um, and I could use some sun. So so what do you you know, what do you recommend for sun seekers? Yeah, let's go there for sure. So I think it's a great way to break it down. I think when it comes to a winter trip, it's really about thinking, what are you looking for? So if you're what I like to call a sun seeker, and you know, we definitely have those guests that reach out in Jan and Feb and say, I don't care where I go, you know, just suggest somewhere where it's going to be warm and beautiful and not snowing. Um, and in those cases, yeah, there are some, some, some trips to start thinking about um, planning for the winter months. Um, Asia is a great time to uh, our great uh, continent rather to travel to in the winter months in general over uh, the winter months you've got the cool dry season which lasts from november to april across most of mainland southeast asia um, and of course, when we say cool, Richard, this is in a relative term in, ter in terms of the extreme heat they typically experience at other times of the year. Um, so it's definitely not cool in terms of, you know, you're going to be wearing a sweater and a jacket. It's cooler than their peak summer months, um, which makes it very, very popular. Uh, countries like Thailand, Cambodia, we're getting a lot of requests for Vietnam as well. And what I love about these trips in Asia, and it's, it's it can be focused on, you know, whether you're doing a walking tour or a cycle 
cycling tour, but there's also such an element of cultural discovery in Asia. You've got incredible gastronomy. You really get immersed in uh, the local atmosphere and the local cultures, and you come away having learned a lot. Anytime I've been to Asia, it's just felt like such a revolutionary experience where you just come back with your your um, horizons broadened and inspired, uh, having learned about a new part of the world. So I would I would say Asia is a great destination for sun seekers. Again, um, not as hot as it is in other months, but you'll still get your dose of sun and warmth and beaches, of course, too. I actually spent a couple of months, uh, November and December, oh, like 10 or 15 years ago in Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, you know, that whole area. And um, I never even wore the trousers I took. It was shorts every day. So <laughs> when we say cool, I think it was like kind of like 27 to 32 every day. And, um, you know, just tons of active stuff to do. So lots of hiking, a ton of cycling. Uh, the cycling I did around Angkor Wat in Cambodia is, you know, definitely it's on like the family bucket list. My kids like riding bikes and it's, you know, pretty much car free. You can uh, just kind of explore on your own pace. And it's... Um, it's it's fantastic and let alone indonesia and vietnam which uh, are also just incredible you know wonderful diverse places it's uh, the only hard part is it's a long flight so you, you it's hard to do it for 2 weeks like you almost have to you can do it maybe 2 weeks is a, is the shortest but these aren't places you know you can go for seven days just because the flights are are so onerous that's a great point yeah and what we often see our guests doing is combining a couple of those countries in one trip so you know if you're going to go all the way over there why not discover Cambodia, Thailand, and Vietnam um, over the course of three weeks if you have that. So it's definitely one of those trips that takes some planning because it is a big one and tends to be pretty long in duration, but um, the, just an incredible opportunity to enjoy a winter getaway. I love it. I love it. Uh, other, other sunny destinations that uh, you think people should get on their radar? Yeah, what comes to mind um, beyond Asia would be Central America. Uh, obviously, I think when we think of Central America, it's one of those sort of winter escape um, destinations that we think of people going to to get on the beaches and, um, you know, swim in the ocean. Um, that being said, there's just a wealth of opportunities for adventure as well in Central America. The best time to visit Central America is between December and April, which is the dry season. Um, Costa Rica is top of mind. When I think of a, a winter getaway um, in Central America, Costa Rica comes to mind for me. January is one of the driest months in Costa Rica, so it's a great, great time to visit. I'm currently working with a guest who's what we would call a snowbird, let's say. She really likes to get away. She's from Western Canada. She likes to get away from the snow and um, you know, head to a warm destination. And so I've been working with her on some plans where she's gonna book an Airbnb in Costa Rica um, for about a month, but she also wants to spend another month there doing a couple of adventure tours. So she's getting that real nice balance of relax but then also getting out and seeing different parts of the country. Uh, when it comes to Costa Rica, specifically, we're seeing a lot of guests wanting to travel in the Guanacaste province. So uh, this is northwest Costa Rica, renowned for uh, adventure lovers of every kind. You've got the volcanic national park there. You've got beaches. You've got hot springs that you can relax in after a day of hiking, tropical forests, and uh, the wealth of activity activities there are just really, really incredible. Um, another 
unique thing about Costa Rica is in a lot of countries we offer in Central America, they're mostly guided trips. But in Costa Rica, we actually have plenty of um, partially guided options where you're traveling independently, but then meeting up with a mixed group and a guide to enjoy specific activities, but then also self-guided as well. So if you're a real independent type traveler and you're not interested in joining a group or a guide for a trip, Costa Rica is a great destination as we do have some self-guided trips there as well. Uh, along the line, uh, in, in line with Central America uh, countries, Nicaragua is another one. Um, Nicaragua is special uh, for so many reasons. I think, you know, when you often think of people traveling to Central America, it's maybe not one of the first countries that you think about, but it's definitely gaining in popularity with our travelers. Um, one notable trip there that's really special, and I like to think of this trip as the perfect trip for perhaps a couple celebrating a milestone, a big birthday celebration, an anniversary. We have an incredible luxury adventure tour on the South Pacific coast. Um, and what this combines is you know some some great outdoor adventures but then also really nice upscale hotels you've got a lot of inclusions a professional local guide and so kind of gives you that feel of that all-inclusive style trip that you're, you're you're buying for a winter getaway but then um, also just a ton of cultural exploration and outdoor adventure as well so it's a great trip um, for those looking for something a little special this winter uh, I love I love the sound of that one, and uh, I have a big anniversary coming up in a couple of years, and I'm thinking, where do we go? And it's it's in March, and I had my my brain started working there. <laughs> <laughs> Take notes, yeah. And then lastly, we've also uh, we want to mention Guatemala. We've recently added some fantastic trips in Guatemala. Again, this is a great destination for families looking for something active to do with the kids, something unique and different. We've got multi-sport adventures there that combine mountain biking, kayaking, rafting, hiking, um, some short five-day tours there as well. So really great for combining with you know other travel plans that you may have. Uh, so I'd say in short, uh, if you're looking for a sunny destination, Central America and Asia are two great continents to think about. And I think one thing just about Central America is I, I talk to a lot of people and they're they're a little bit concerned, you know, how safe is Central America? And the reason I think why a guided tour works so well, especially in Nicaragua and Guatemala is, you know, people who live there, they understand where it's safe to go, what it's safe to do. And, you know, an actual, you know, tour isn't that much more expensive than doing it yourself, but you get to go to really cool places and you're going to be kept out of like walking in the wrong places. When we were in Paris over Christmas, my wife and I just kind of stumbled into the wrong area and we could see there was a bunch of pickpocketers, you know, checking us out. And I'm like, oh, and you know, we just, we walked a hundred kilometers in four days. So we were just walking all over and just kind of walking randomly. We walked, walked into to the wrong neighborhood. And it's so easy to do that if you don't know where you're going. And so I always tell people, if you're a bit worried, you know, for your first trip, just just get a guided trip. And that guide will, will let you know how to, you know, where to avoid, what to do. And But they'll just take you to all the highlights with none of the stress of, oh, am I going, is this, you know, is this taxi safe? Am I going to the right place? Because uh, Central America is just so stunning and there's so much history, so much architecture, so much, you know, beauty that it's a shame some people just discount it because of you know, this perceived uh, danger. 
It's a really good point. Yeah. And I, I would add just especially when traveling with kids, I think that's one thing we hear often, you know, is it safe? I'm traveling with my young kids or my teens and you've nailed it. That's that's the solution. You go with a, a guide and you have um, that safety net knowing that A, you're not going to miss anything and B, you're going to be safe while exploring as well. As a parent, it is so nice to know that there's somebody, there's a legitimate taxi waiting that's going to be a safe van, there's going to be a guide. Absolutely. Let's talk uh, about hiking and biking, because I think that's something, you know, I notice every year, you know, when backpacking season starts up, you know, I end in October and I'm in really good shape. And then come like May and June, I'm in terrible shape. And uh, I'm now at the age now where a lot of my friends are starting to do, you know, winter activities just to stay in shape so they don't have to kind of spend the first two months rebuilding that. And so for people that want to keep hiking, want to keep biking, want to stay active, don't want to lose all this fitness they work so hard to get from spring to autumn, what do you think are some great things to consider? Yeah, that's it. I mean, it, you don't have to stop pursuing your outdoor um, adventure passions just because the winter months are here where you are living. Um, there are a wealth of opportunities to travel abroad to enjoy um, hiking and biking in other destinations. And so um, a big one for this, I call it uh, pulling a season swap. That would be traveling from the northern hemisphere where the weather isn't necessarily conducive for hiking and biking and heading to the summer, uh, the southern hemisphere rather where there is you know summer weather um, not necessarily super hot but comfortable for hiking and biking so when we think about this category of travelers those looking to really pursue their active interests abroad um, Chilean and Argentinian Patagonia come to mind for me again I mentioned earlier that we're seeing a lot of requests for hiking specifically in Patagonia. Um, you've got tons of options here. So if you're a solo traveler, there's plenty of options to join a guided mixed group of other like-minded travelers um, to do a guided group trek such as the O Circuit or the W Trek, the classic um, Torres del Paine treks. Um, there's some self-drive tour options as well. So we've got two guests starting a self-drive tour over 21 days um, throughout Chile and down into Patagonia. And that's a, a great trip type for the independent traveler, again, that's looking to kind of piece together their own trip but have the framework organized for them and also have that um, safety net of a local team that's going to be just a phone call away anytime they need something. Um, and then Los Glaciares National Park in Argentina, that's very popular as well. Some people do tend to combine Chilean and Argentinian Patagonia into one trip, but they are really distinct landscapes in different areas. So it, it you know, whether you want to do both or one or the other, those are great options for some you know, world-class hiking, having been there myself, like I said, um, in Chile in Patagonia. It's just some of the best hiking I've ever experienced. What I love about Patagonia is you can, you know, fly into Buenos Aires. It's, you know, this incredible, looks like Paris, but everyone's speaking Spanish. Uh, right now, you know, eating and drinking in Buenos Aires is, you know, unfortunately for, you know, uh, Porteños, um, the currency's fallen. But if you're a traveler, it's really economical to go there. And, you know, you spend four or five days, even a week in Buenos Aires, you fly down, do, you know, Argentinian Patagonia, Chilean Patagonia, and then you can end in Santiago. You kind of get the big city hustle and bustle, and then you also get this incredible outdoors. It's just a really special trip, and uh, it's super, super safe. Like, it's, you know, it's just a great place to explore. 
Absolutely. Yeah. You've, met, you've mentioned the contrast there of that kind of bustling city. And then also when you're in Patagonia, you really do feel like you're just in another world. It's so remote and so undeveloped that it's just a really, really special experience, especially when contrasted next to those big cities. Patagonia is great for people in North America. It's a bit of a, a long flight for people in Europe. Is there a place, you know, if you're in Europe, that's, you know, maybe a bit easier to get to to stay healthy in winter? Tanzania. Yeah, absolutely. Another bucket list trip. I, I think, what do you think of Richard when you hear Tanzania in terms of the ultimate trek? I think, so I spent some time in Tanzania, but I don't know why I didn't, I didn't climb Kili. This is yeah. 25 <laughs> years ago, but just the diversity of all this nature, all this wildlife safari, and then going to the coast and just sitting on a beach and then, you know, now that I know about Kili, you know, I didn't really know about it 25 years ago, but like the idea of you go to Tanzania, incredible, you, you climb this incredible highest point in Africa, and then you go Africa, and then you just go sit on the beach, and you just go sit on the beach, it's it is really a dream trip if you've got it is really a dream trip if you've got a bit more, it's two weeks or a bit more, it's just like vacation, the perfect, perfect vacation. Yeah, that's exactly it. it. It can be such a diverse trip. You know, you don't, and often when we see our guests booking um, a climb of Kili, they're often combining it with a safari because you can't go yeah. all the way there and not spot the big five, right? So those two go hand in hand. And when it comes to planning Kili, it can be a little bit overwhelming. There are a lot of different routes. The most popular route being the Makame route, which heads up the um, southern slope of the mountain. But there's a ton of route options. You've got the Rongai, the Lamosho, um, the Marangu. And so it can be a little bit daunting figuring out, you know, what's the right route for me? What are the accommodations like? Am I staying in a hut? Am I camping? That type of thing. And so it's one of those trips where I definitely say reach out to an adventure specialist at 10A, like myself or one of my colleagues, is we can really walk you through the process of making sure you're choosing the right um, route to climb Killy. And you can check that off your bucket list because it is a big one. And one thing that's interesting is that you know, there's all these different routes that go around, you know, the entire kind of uh, Kilimanjaro. And based on which month you want to go, certain routes are really good. And other ones, uh, it gets wet because I guess there's just so many microclimates. And and so it's almost like, don't get your heart set on the route. Get your heart set on, I want the driest, nicest temperatures. Because it might be, you know, if you want to go in March, it might be a specific route is actually going to be better than the one you, you know, had your, your heart set on. Exactly. And that's why it's just best to reach out and, you know, decide when you want to go and then see what will work best. Um, we can't forget also great biking opportunities in Tanzania as well. So um, we've got an incredible uh, bike tour that goes around Mount Kilimanjaro. And with that, you get to combine um, the Maasai culture. You've got wildlife. You've got really cool, um, unique villages along the way. Um, we had a couple of guests do it in a private private group um, last winter and they just had it. Their pictures were phenomenal. They had an incredible time and they noted it was just the trip of a lifetime. It had everything. It had culture, great food, um, awesome biking. Um, they loved their guide. So it's it's not necessarily just a trekking destination for uh, bike lovers. It's a great trip destination as well. I remember those photos. You shared them and I, you know, it's just, it's, you know, this red, red earth and kind of getting away from, you know, where all, all of us tourists normally go and just having a really authentic East African experience. It just looked phenomenal. 
Yeah, totally. Uh, another uh, trekking destination we're seeing a lot of requests and bookings for would be Ecuador. So um, the nice thing about Ecuador is there's a real range of difficulties when it comes to trekking there. So we do have, you know, really moderate to very challenging treks for those that are looking to really, you know, test their endurance and, and, and sort of set a goal for themselves and achieve it. But we also have some great family trips there with light hiking, um, which are great for the winter months as well. Another country where it really, really is beneficial to have a guide with you, you know, that knows, um, you know, where to go, where not to go, who's going to make sure you're seeing the best of the best and, um, and nothing else really. Yeah. What always surprises me is it's just how close Ecuador is. And it's actually just, it's, it's so easy to get to from the U S and Canada where I always wonder, like, I've actually never been to Ecuador. And when I look at flights, I'm like, what this is like closer than parts of Canada, like Eastern Canada. And I'm like, why am I, you know, why haven't I ever gone here? So it's Ecuador and Colombia are two places that it's kind of, I didn't, you know, I never clued in, Hey, these are really easy to get to. And something you can do for a five or six day trip, especially if you're around one of the big airports in the U S there's tons of direct flights right into Quito. And then you can just explore and like, you can make it, you know, a five or six day trip, which is hard to do almost anywhere else in the world from, from the continental U S and Canada. That is a really good point. Yeah, we've talked about these um, winter destinations that really require, you know, two, in some cases, three weeks to travel. But if you have that seven to 10 day block of time over the winter months and, and you are living in Canada and the U.S., Ecuador and Colombia are, are excellent choices. As, I, as you've said, I flew to Colombia myself, um, a short seven hour flight from Toronto, and I was there and, you know, uh, same on the way back you you realize then oh my gosh why haven't i been doing this all of the years prior so what are some other options if you want to get out and hike and bike Hike and bike, yeah. So um, Europe, I mean, not all of Europe, but in some places in Europe, in particular, um, Spain and Portugal, uh, you're going to experience sort of milder temps. And as we know, Europe in the summer months are are, are overrun with tourists. Um, the prices are really high in the summer months in Europe. And so um, if you're looking for that kind of perfect mild temperature, um, some opportunities for island escapes, I would focus your sights on Spain and Portugal. In Spain, obviously a ton of islands. We've had quite a few guests booking trips in the Canary Islands. So La Gomera, La Palma, Tenerife, um, nothing says a winter getaway like an island escape. But then, you know, we often forget it's not just beaches. There's amazing opportunities for hiking and biking in these destinations as well, which we're seeing our guests book. The Balearic Islands, Menorca, a really, really top destination. We had a meeting with one of our partners based in Spain, and he was saying, you know, this winter in particular, he, Menorca is just exploding. Everyone wants to walk on this island, and, um, and it's just absolutely remote and beautiful. The Camino de Santiago in Spain as well. We talked about that a little bit earlier. You can't do the complete French way um, that starts in St. Jean-Pied-de-Port, France, um, and walk all the way to uh, Santiago de Compostela during the winter months because the the start of that route goes through the Pyrenees in some in some sections, and there is a chance of snow um, at that time. So anyone looking to do the Camino de Santiago, it's usually the last 100 kilometers of one of the routes to head into Santiago de Compostela that we would recommend booking. Um, in terms of Portugal, Portugal has a special place in my heart as I just got married there a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't a winter trip to Portugal, but Portugal is also a wonderful place to visit in the winter. So we're seeing a lot of guests 
us going to the Algarve for hiking and biking, um, the Azores, just plenty of uh, beautiful, beautiful destinations there. And not to mention the amazing food and wine, both in Portugal and Spain. Now I'm going uh, in two days to Jordan. And I know that's another great location. I'm going to be walking the Jordan Trail, doing some road biking out near Wadi Rum. Uh, it's been a bucket list trip for me, but that's obviously a great uh, a great place to go of a winter adventure. It's surprisingly close to Europe. It's I think it's a four and a half, four and a half hour flight from Frankfurt. Are there other parts of the Middle East that you recommend? Yeah, yeah. And again, it's one of those that we might not necessarily have come to mind when we think of a winter break. The Middle East is really unique in that, you know, it's partially in the northern hemisphere, partially in the eastern hemisphere. Um, but this meal means mild temps overall. So um, two top destinations if you're looking for some great hiking and um, biking would be Israel. You've got the famous Golan Trail there, volcanoes, reservoirs, wildflowers, tons of archaeological sites. I think anytime you think of a trip in Israel, whether it's focused on hiking or biking, you've also got to think, wow, just the wealth of history there is, is phenomenal. And for anyone interested in history or looking to get more into it, it's a great place to be. Um, popular destinations in Israel during this time would be the Negev Desert, some great trekking opportunities there. Of course, the Judean Mountains, beautiful landscapes. Um, and there are a ton of guided and self-guided options here as well. So we've got a couple of guests starting trips in the Judean Mountains in December uh, and November. And I know they're really looking forward to exploring that part of the world. Jordan being uh, the place that Richard's heading to in two days. Um, We've got a great trek. It's the Dana to Petra trek. Um, this is awesome for solo travelers that are looking to join a mixed group with a guide. It runs November through January. It's a nine-day trip. It's an excellent choice for those looking to really get off the beaten path, explore an extraordinary destination, um, and do it with the safety of a local guide and alongside other like-minded travelers. Yeah, I can't wait for it. And just it's like 27 Celsius. So it's going to be nice and warm each day. Uh, so yeah, I'll probably have the first snow while I'm away, which will be great. Um, which leads us to the last type of traveler, the ones who love winter or want to explore winter. Maybe they've never really had a true winter experience. Um, what are your ideas for that? Yeah, this is a, I'd, I'd call them the bold winter travelers. They're the ones that are, you know, maybe leaving snow, but they're also seeking to uh, head to a destination with more snow. Personally, not my style, but Richard, I know this particular type of travel is close to your heart. Um, yeah, so for these top winter trips, we're thinking of things like um, skiing, whether it's ski touring, um, cross-country skiing, ski safaris, snowshoeing is a, a winter winter travel type that's growing a destination as well. We've got some really great trips across Europe. Um, and then you've got soft winter adventures as well, such as the Aurora Borealis tour that we mentioned, where there's not a big physical demand, but you're actually going, you know, to do something um, sort of uh, spectacular, such as see the Northern Lights. Um, and then there's some outside of the box ideas as well. Uh, dog sledding in the Yukon. We've got some dog sledding in East Greenland. So I'd say there's something for anyone that's looking to spend some time in the snow, getting outdoors and just having a great time uh those all sound great um let's talk about where we're based here in canada what do you what do yeah. you recommend well, I think, Richard, uh, this is your domain. And given that it's one of your favorite seasons to explore and get outside, why don't you tell us a bit about what that looks like in Canada and what our guests can do? Yeah, okay. Uh, so kind of the first thing that comes to mind is downhill skiing. So this is resort 
base skiing and having skied a lot in the US and Europe, like the big difference is you can kind of ski onto your chairlift. And so there's, you know, none of these massive lineups where you see on social media of like thousands of people, you get five lifts a day. The problem in Canada, especially if you go Monday through Friday is you've got to take breaks because you're so tired because you never, never have to, to wait. Um, one thing that's really popular are ski safaris. And so this is where you visit a number of, a number of different ski resorts um, because there's, you know, kind of like 1200 kilometers of driving between Vancouver and Calgary. That's almost all mountains. There's a real diversity in ski resorts. So you have Whistler, which is, you know, probably North America's uh, premier ski resort. Then you have all these little small resorts in the interior of British Columbia where you're in these small towns and they're charming and, you know, they're very quiet midweek. And then you end up in the Rockies where you have uh, Banff, Lake Louise, which are two of the more the more famous uh, ski resorts. And so it's just really fun. You know, we have a few trips on 10 Adventures where you have a, 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 a van and a guide. And they kind of take you to a range of these resorts. And so you can pick, you know, there, I think there's two different itineraries, but it allows you to go and explore resorts. It's really hard to coordinate on your own. In addition, driving in Canada in the winter, it can be really, uh, really wild because it snows a lot and it's challenging. Um, so having someone that's used to traveling in snow who has a van or a vehicle that's equipped for that. Uh, it makes it a lot easier and uh, just have ski buddies as well. Like it's nice when you, you know, if you go on your own, you, it takes you a, a day or two to figure out where to ski. When you go with the guide, they, oh, you know, you want to find powder? We're going to go here. You want to find moguls? We go here. Do you want to ski the, the trees and glades? We go here. Uh, so that's one thing that's great. Um, there's also some incredible backcountry skiing. And so uh, backcountry skiing is where you put uh, you know, put your skis on, but you actually ski up the hill to find your, your snow. Um, it's something you don't want to do yourself unless you're trained. There is, you know, every year, you know, people die because of avalanches. And so lots of different guided backcountry ski trips. The interior of BC is famous for some of the best snow in the world. Uh, and, you know, you just climb up. You're the only one in, you know, within miles and you ski down this perfect powder snow. Um, there's also lots of training for things like backcountry skiing or ice climbing, uh, lots of training right around Banff. And so, you know, if you want to be based in kind of this charming mountain town, that has all the services you need, great hotels, you know, these huge outdoor um, hot tubs and hot springs, you can be based in Banff, but still go and explore the Canadian Rockies with a guide and learn how to backcountry ski or ice climb or a variety of things. Um, and so there's just, it's just like a winter playground. The only thing you just have to learn how to dress warm for it. Uh, luckily because it's not humid, if you just put some fleece and then, you know, maybe some synthetic down and a shell on, usually, you know, I can go up to about minus 30 and it, you know, you don't, you don't really notice it. It's just, if you have the wrong gear, it's really cold. If you're prepared for it, it's really, you know, much easier and you can rent a lot of good gear if you don't have all this yourself already. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Thinking back on my um, trip to the Yukon last year in February, that was one thing I really noticed on that trip. You know, it, it, it was so spectacular because I was uh, equipped accordingly with the right clothing. And had I not been, it wouldn't have been a great experience. So it's all about preparing and kind of setting yourself up for success in these hardcore winter cold destinations. And as you said earlier, you know, the Aurora in winter, you know, people often think, oh, I want to go see the Aurora in summer. So it's not cold, but the sun never sets up north. <laughs> so, so really it almost has to be a winter destination. And as you said, it's just a charming experience. Canadiana, like, 
you're in this little cabin in the woods with a fire and um, it's it's a once in a lifetime. It really is. And one thing to note about the Aurora Borealis tour, as there are often guests coming from countries perhaps where they don't have a really cold winter, you can actually rent winter gear. And so um, that can be done as part of the booking process. You get, you know, thermal boots, you've got the parka, you've got your snow pants, gloves, toque, they equip you with it all. So um, there's nothing to worry about in terms of having to lug all that in your case. It's taken care of for you and it does make it a more accessible trip for a wider range of guests. Definitely, definitely. Now let's go on and just talk a little bit about what's possible in Europe in winter as well. Yes. So I would say in terms of um, what our guests are booking, Europe would probably be um, the area we're seeing the most amount of requests and bookings for. Um, Plenty of opportunity for a number of the winter activities we talked about a few moments ago. So um, that's skiing, snowshoeing, that type of thing. Um, I'd like to draw our attention to Italy. Um, Italy is our top destination for guests looking to travel. Uh, during the summer months, but we're also seeing a lot of guests interested in visiting Italy in the winter months, in particular the Italian Dolomites and the Aosta Valley in Italy. Great, incredible skiing opportunities from January to March, which are those key winter months. Um, We've talked about, you know, those that are looking to embrace the winter and the weather and get outdoors and really enjoy it. awesome opportunities to do that there. So cross-country skiing in the Italian Dolomites, we've got some self-guided trips and also um, trips with a guide. Um, We worked with a group of 26 guests last or this past February actually that um, skied in the Dolomites cross-country and their their images and um, feedback was just incredible. Um, There's a center-based ski touring trip that we offer in the Asta Valley, which is really popular as well. You're you're based for the six nights in the Gressonet Valley, um, so you're not moving from hotel to hotel. So um, both great choices. France, again, another popular destination for us in the summer with the Tour de Mont Blanc. But why not, uh, you know, pull a switch and explore Mont Blanc in the winter? We've got an awesome snowshoeing adventure um, where you head out, uh, out into the snow with a guide that runs from March to April. And it's a unique opportunity to experience that landscape um, on a, in a completely different season, which presents, you know, just a whole other world of adventure. And Chamonix at that time of year is just this charming, you know, mountain village. Yes. So, uh, yeah, that's one that I've uh, I've wanted to do this the snowshoeing around uh, Mont Blanc. What about a bit farther north? Uh, I know we have some stuff in Scandinavia. Yeah, um, we've got some snowshoeing trips in Sweden as well. Um, that look, you know, those are ones that we've recently added. Um, December to April is the season there, and and those look quite good as well. Um, they're privately guided trips, so you've got cross country skiing, perfect for your own group, or whether that's you know a couple or four or a larger group you're traveling with. Um, another very popular destination uh, for our guests is Iceland, and what's cool about Iceland is we've got quite a few options for you to join a group. So we've had quite a few solo travelers reach out and say, hey, my partner doesn't like to ski or hey, you know, I don't have any friends that are into skiing. I really want to do a a trip in Iceland, obviously with the opportunity of seeing seeing the Northern Lights there as well and in Scandinavia. Um, And so we've got some group cross-country ski tours. There's dates in February and April um, and those have been quite popular for solo travelers as well. And then one to think about that's like a little bit outside of the box, maybe not the first thing that comes to mind when you think of a winter 
winter ski trip, but Bulgaria, um, really, really well-priced trips in Bulgaria, you know, um, overall, uh, in that time of year, you've got folklore, you've got, um, you know, the folk folklore music around, um, the festivities during Christmas period, the festivals. Um, so we've got some ski touring trips there and also some snow chewing trips that are all guided and definitely a unique experience to get away in the winter somewhere that perhaps you haven't been to before. You know, this has been great, Nadine, all these places. And like always, I just want to go to them all. Uh, I can't, though, obviously. Um, do you have any tips for people that are trying to plan a winter trip? Yeah, so we've kind of gone over, you know, the ideas and the inspiration behind picking your winter travel destination, but some things to keep in mind when you're thinking about planning that trip. Decide what you're looking for. So, you know, today we've covered three traveler types. Um, which one are you? What are you looking to get out of this uh, winter travel experience? Is it rest, rejuvenation, a dose of sun? Are you looking for a challenge, quality time with family? Because that's really going to inform your choice about what destination you want to go to. Um, a second piece of advice would be get advice from an adventure specialist. So sometimes it's just a matter of sending an email and saying, hey, I've got these two weeks free. I want to do something cool, telling us a little bit about what you're looking for. And then we get back to you with some ideas. I think we all you know, pretty well know the best places to travel in summer, but when it comes to winter, there's a bit more of a question mark on the end of that. And so just getting inspiration and advice um, from someone on our team, myself or one of my colleagues is a great place to start. And then lastly, I'd say, make it count. Uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier at the beginning of our chat that in a lot of cases, a winter trip can be your last trip of the year. If it's in December, you want to end the year with a bang. You want to have a memorable experience. You want to spend quality time with your family and your loved ones and really close out the year on a great positive note. And likewise, if you're planning a trip in January or February winter months, that's a great opportunity to start the year off with a bang. So set the tone, set the bar for adventure high in the upcoming year. And, um, and have an incredible experience to start the new the new year ahead. I love that last one, Nadine. I think that should be for you know every trip. It's like the highlight of our years when we get to go explore the world with the people we love. And uh, often we get so focused on other things like we can't we can't enjoy. And uh, especially when you're ending the year, starting the year, make it count. Um, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing all this, Nadine. Uh, once again, you've blown me away with all these different ideas, and uh, I know I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was my pleasure. It was great to be back on, and uh, time to get planning that winter getaway. Definitely, definitely. Uh, I'm going to put some links to some of the uh, places we discussed in the show notes, so check that out, or feel free to read that. Uh, we're going to sign off on this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast, but be back next week with uh, more great stories about incredible destinations. Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures.